0: You're listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio, inspiring ideas, inspiring families. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Family Rules, the podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Walker. So grateful you would carve out some time to join us today in what I hope will be a really enlightening conversation. It was for me the topic on our table today, parenting mantras to live by. Mantra isn't a word that we use very often, I would say. I mean, certainly there are catchphrases or quotes that may run through your head on a daily basis. But by definition, a mantra being a short, punchy phrase that picks you up, fuels you forward, or gives you the motivation you need to improve any situation. I first learned the power of a good mantra many years ago maybe a decade ago I was training and I laugh as I say this and I sit here seven months pregnant because tra- training is the last thing from my mind or the last ability in my body at this current physical moment but I was training for a 5k with a couple of my cousins and running isn't something that comes naturally to me it's more out of necessity than it is out of enjoyment and I was struggling with with the the regimen the routine of this training program as we built up to an ever humble 5k and those of you listening Who do 10Ks, marathons, and beyond, or you can have a good laugh at my expense. It's fine. I give you full permission. But I was struggling with this training, and I had a friend who is definitely more of a runner than I am, and certainly more fitness minded, who said, Here's the thing training is broken down by minutes, and you can do anything for a minute. And there it was, that mantra. So at any given time, as I was digging into a sprint, for example, a two-minute sprint or a one-minute sprint ahead of me as laid out in the training program and the training pattern, that would run through my mind. I would hear her voice. You can do anything for a minute. That, to me, taught... Not just the power of words, but the power of phrasing, the messaging that we tell ourselves, that we program into our brain. And today you'll get to hear not one, not two, but seven parenting mantras that you can recite on the daily that will help you forge ahead and be that better parent. Our teacher today is a wise woman. Georgia Anderson specializes in presence-based leadership coaching, focusing on relationships both at home and in the workplace. She is a Gottman-trained educator who founded her website, KnowHowMom.com, in 2015 after decades of educating families. She coaches and teaches simple skills that anyone can master to promote stronger relationships and personal flourishing. Listen how Georgia came to experience for herself the power of a good mantra, and through these mantras are some powerful, layered parenting lessons, such as how to get the best of a tantrum. Before it gets the best of you and actually use it to improve your relationship with your child, I also liked a pattern, a formula, a mantra that she'll lay out for us about those moments when our children are flat out melting down in front of our eyes, how we can use that to serve them, to better serve them and improve the relationship. Also, a great little code, a great little formula for weaving more work ethic into your family life. This is a loaded conversation full of lots of gems. I'm excited for you to listen in to my conversation with Georgia Anderson of the website knowhowmom.com. Georgia, thank you for joining me on Family Rules, the podcast. I am sincerely grateful and excited and giddy for this conversation. I appreciate you being here.
1: Thank you, Brooke. I'm so happy to be here with you today.
0: Ironically, I'll just add a little personal note to, to start things off. Ironically, George and I have never met in person, although this speaks to her warmth and sincerity because I thought we had, and I feel like we are friends through the screen. So I appreciate that tone you put out there. It's so real. It's so warm. When did you decide to take your messaging online, Instagram, your website? How did that all come to be?
1: Yeah, my journey is absolutely crazy. It started with a church calling, to be honest with you, about, oh gosh, how old am I? It started about 35 years ago with a church calling. Okay. And um, yeah, I was asked to volunteer to serve as a facilitator for people to take a parenting class and to be trained for social services program and did that. And I did that for 25 years as a volunteer and loved it, found out that I'd really found my calling in life and turned it into a business about five, six years ago. Started experimenting with turning it into a business, and it's been a great ride ever since. Well, I'm as much a follower as, and a fan
0: as I am a wannabe friend. I think the advice you're putting out there is so measured. Your messaging is value-based. There's a lot of parents kind of hanging on, not just what you say, but again, back to that warmth, the way you say it. Do you feel like that's part of it, Georgia, is framing these topics that we're all invested in, right? Being better partners, being better parents, framing it in the right tone, does
1: that set the table in the right way? I think so. And I think also, you know, having been through a lot of hard things in sure. my relationships, in my life, my own life also helps. So I feel like I have a an experiential compassion that's innate because I've been through a lot. Yeah, that seasonability <laughs> so. counts for sure. Yeah. I love this topic. I'm a
0: wordy girl. It goes back to my journalistic background, but I believe in the power of words and phrasing and their ability to move and motivate people in the right way. So this idea of mothering mantras or parenting mantras, set it up for us. How can a single sentence or a singular phrase help change our day or change our perspective as a parent?
1: Mm, love that question, and I, I'll bring that back to my own personal life. I'll give you an example. Um, I'm not a great housekeeper. I, I don't enjoy it. I don't love it. And I had a neighbor, you know, years ago that really was. I mean, I just watched her her homekeeping, and her home always felt clean and fresh, and and nice, and not cluttered. And and I just really had a heart to heart with her once, and I said, you know, this is something I know I'm not. It's not a natural for me you know, what What would you say to me to help me? And she said, I'll, t- I'll give you two ideas. And they were mantras. She said, next time you walk, have something in your hand, remember to touch it once. And she said, there are two mantras I want you to remember. Touch it once. Touch it once. And a place for everything, anything in its place. Aha. Uh-huh. Those two sentences changed my life. They, they helped me let go of a lot of perfectionism. They let me... Say, if I can do those two things, then I think I can make peace with my housekeeping. And I have honestly practiced those things and kept those thoughts in my mind for years, for 20 years. When when I pick something up in my house, I think, touch it once a place for everything and everything in its place. It has helped me a ton. So that's an example of how a simple sentence can be life-changing. Oh,
0: I love it. I love it. And I've spent the last 15 years talking to inspiring voices like yourself, coaches, therapists, psychologists, and ultimately, a lot of conversations will come down to this idea that thoughts are powerful, thoughts matter, we need to train our brain. And it's hard sometimes to get into our head and control that inner voice in the way that we'd like to. But this idea of programming that voice, right? A, a mm-hmm. sentence, a phrase, a mantra, telling our brains what to what to think or ponder on in the moment. There's real
1: power in that. There's huge power in that. Yeah.
0: Let's jump in. You've got a list for us. And I, I automatically went to mothering mantras because that's my that's my lens and perspective. But these could certainly be brought into fathers, even, even grandparents too. Anyone out there striving to improve that dynamic, that role, that calling of parent, grandparent, these are on the ground little ideas that we can run through our brain to be better at the role and better at the relationship. First, the first one... The first one focuses on quality time. Here's the mantra. I'll set it up and then you kind of take us through it. Quality
1: time makes us better together. All right. So this is a mantra that my husband and I actually created last year for ourselves. So we didn't just pick it out of the sky. We actually spent three or four days really working through our theme for the year, our mission, our vision, our critical actions, what we were struggling with. And what we decided was that we were struggling because we're both entrepreneurs, both running businesses. And even though we're not raising our family anymore, we were not really connecting like we Mm. wanted to. So we went through our why. You know, we did all the the things that we won't talk about here. Yeah. But we came up with quality time makes us better together. And what that means to us. So what that means to us is that we're a blended family. So we're, we have two families in one. We blended later in life. We realize that we need to keep our partnership strong first and foremost, because we are the leaders of that, family, of that group. We are also the leaders of our own individual families that are separate. Mm-hmm. And so this means a lot to us. It it has a lot of bearing, but what we realized was that we needed to focus on our relationship and to make our time together quality. In other words, we, we made some rules about it, about that mantra. Okay. It means that our work was contained between 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. It meant that our we were going to become more curious about our time together and ask open-ended questions. Like and it that. also meant we were, yeah. And we were going to work on our positivity ratio of five positive statements to any negative one negative statement. So that's what quality time means to us. So the mantra can be out there, yeah. but it's got to have some legs under it. Right. So um, that, that's what holds true for us in quality time makes us better together. we, we, we know what quality time means to us. Okay, this was a perfect... And so we can say that mantra. (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: This was a perfect jumping off point because there are so many layers to unpack with this. First of all, the purposeful approach. I'm in sheer admiration of how you two came together with this driving purpose to set a goal, set a theme, if you will, for your relationship in the coming year. And you're right about the legs. A lot of times we throw these goals, or in this case, these ideas, these mantras out there, and we hope they'll just float their way to success, right? But with yeah. those those legs underneath them, that's such a good powerful visual in its own way, but with those layers behind it, it really takes on an actionable focus.
1: Right, right. And we started with our problem. You know, and the same thing is true of my messy house back way years ago when <laughs> I my friend shared her mantras, right? I yeah. started with the problem. Our problem was despite um, you know, being quarantined together. We were growing apart. Right, right. And that was our that was the problem we started with and the mantra that came together around that was to create quality time when we're together. So I'm, I'm thinking of, of the the title quality time, emphasis on
0: quality, and I'm trying to apply it to—I could apply this—I could be selfish and apply this to my own life, but I'm thinking of a mom on the ground who maybe is in the throes of raising a family and maybe has four or five kids, you know, running around that all beg for that quality time, and there could be a little overwhelm that sets in with the idea of quality time divided by five, at a spouse, maybe six yeah. people in the house. Mm-hmm. How do you define quality time, Georgia, in a way that maybe makes it doable and approachable and not overwhelming. Like there's just not minutes in the day for me to go quality with everybody.
1: Well, quality isn't quantity, right? Quality is different than quantity. And there's a lot of good research out there that talks about five, 10 minutes of quality time of actually giving your whole self to a person that is really can be very, very meaningful to that child. You know, five minutes... 10 minutes, we can do that. We really can yes. do that. Yes, I
0: experienced this in kind of a unique relationship setting. But I'm the oldest of a family of four girls, so I have three younger sisters, and two of my sisters are are much much younger than I am. As in, my caboose baby sister was my high school graduation president. She was born. She was born okay. when I was a senior in high school, and so I quickly mm-hmm. I mean, left the house when she was one year old to go to go off to college. And I, I made a conscious effort early on to try to be present and active and engaged in these little sisters' lives, and I. Remember, I would often have them over to my townhome at the time for sister spendovers, right? And I would blow out the weekend like we would go to their favorite restaurant, which was usually Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know if I can call that a restaurant, but we we'd have fine food with cheesy pizza. And and we'd go to Build-A-Bear, and I'd put money at it. I'd put time at it. And then I remember, I think Sadie was five or six years old at the time, but I I checked her out of school. I was a a news reporter, and I happened to be on assignment in the town that I grew up in. And I checked her out of school, and I scooped her up, and we went for a drive-through lunch At McDonald's. I mean, literally pulled through the drive-thru, grabbed a Happy Meal, just in time to circle her back, get her, I think into first grade is is where she landed and get me on to work. And as she was getting out of the car, she looked at me and she goes, Brookie, with those big, like, you know, Bucky cute teeth with all the gaps. She goes, this was the best day of my whole life. And I'm staring at my bank account from the weekend before where I blew way too much money at Build-A-Bear. Yet here I was with a $4.99 Happy Meal investment, and she's declaring it the best day of her whole life. And that was taught to me, what you just said, that quality doesn't equal quantity, that small amounts of time or deposits or even money
1: can really go a long way. That That just speaks to my heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is not what we do. It's how we do it. Yes, And it's it's giving our undivided attention, our eyes, our ears, our heart to that person completely. It doesn't matter, you know, like you said, your story is the perfect example. It's giving us, it's giving us to them, being fully present with them. That leads right into the
0: second mantra. You talked about being an active, engaged listener. The mantra goes like Mm -hmm. this, listening is an act of love. Talk to me about your perspective on this mantra. Listening is an act of love.
1: You know, this resonates through every kind of training and certification and learning I've ever done about relationships. This is the hallmark. This is the this is the biggie. Um, our undivided attention is our greatest opportunity to grow love and belonging in another person. And as a parent, as a caregiver, as a grandparent, as a spouse that is what relationships are about that is what it's about our undivided attention being there present with another person um, there's a wonderful kanji that i love to use in my coaching and my classes that's the the kanji the char- chinese character for listen mm. you know the english language talks a lot about listening and we think that's just your ears and your thoughts their right. thoughts kind right. of like get some space in your brain but this kanji, you know, they're pictures, and they represent pictures. And the kanji for listen has the picture for eyes, ears, undivided attention, and heart in it, in oh, wow. the kanji. That's wow. the word listen. Okay. Yeah. It's so powerful. You know, we think we're listening, but are we really truly present totally with that person, going kind of back to that quality time? Yeah, yeah. But... Um, you know, I've I've learned through my life in my own life experience that I learn so much more by talking out loud with someone, like with you right now, mm-hmm. than I do if you were to just give me a lecture. Right? And and adult growth and learning, we're finding a lot of, of the research about adult development has to do with that. Learning is participatory. Growth is participatory. Growth is through connection. And as we listen to another human being, we allow them to find the God within. We we allow them to find their divine spark, what really moves them. Mm -hmm. And we're opening the floodgates to personal development when we listen well.
0: Oh, you set that up so well. I mean, a lot of times listening, even if you take it beyond just ears open, you're thinking, okay, square your shoulders, make eye contact, face the person. You just painted a deeper picture of open heart, open spirit, right? Letting letting ourselves embrace what's being said and be kind of a, a receiver of the message. That's a complete whole body experience, isn't it? It is a whole body
1: experience. You know, and I think about the, for instance, the political climate we're in right now and how difficult it is. And I was thinking yesterday about my own brother, who has very different political views than I do. And yet I know that we both want the same thing. We just have a different way of going about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I I was thinking about that and how when I listen to him with half of me, and I keep defend I keep defending the part of me I want to keep safe. Mm-hmm. I feel angry, I feel defensive, I feel like he's all bad, I'm white, he's black. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and when, I, when I'm able to think about sitting down at the table with him at family dinner and really opening my heart and my mind to his path, which is different than my path, all of a sudden, no matter our differences, all feels well. All in the world. Well. Yes, for
0: us. yes. My mind went to parents of teenagers too, or young adults, who, you know, they're grappling with their own big decisions and transitions that may or may not line up with you as the parent, your own belief system or your own ideology. But that openness can deepen the relationship in real ways. That's a powerful one. Let's go to number three. Different is okay. good. And this is one that kind of gave me pause because I think a lot of times something to celebrate about family are the similarities, right? We share DNA. We come from the same upbringing. There's a lot to celebrate there. How are differences something to celebrate? And ultimately, how can differences strengthen us relationship to relationship?
1: Yeah, well, I am a big nature girl. I spend a lot of time in nature. It's a very important place for me. And I I take a lot of my lessons from the natural world. And I think about the natural world as an example a lot. So let's take that as diversity. Okay. It, Let's think about the world and the diversity in the world and what that brings to us as partakers in this diversity, right? What would it be like if every plant was the same plant? What would it be like if every animal looked the same? If every sunset was exactly the same? If every landscape was the same? How would life be different? and i think then i apply that to people it it fits like a glove right how would it be if we were all just little marching soldiers exactly the same it life would lose its joy for me mm. it would lose its richness mm. and when you when i think back to the teenagers yes. you know the yes. teenagers are a perfect example they are like this this plant that has some maturity, but it's it's trying, you know they're humans, so, they're not a plant. let me not use a plant. <laughs> but they are they are young and developing, right? Yeah, and they've reached this point in their life where they're somewhat autonomous from their parents. they've mm-hmm. done that two-year old separation like, oh, I'm not part of your body, I'm different. and then they're in this teenage phase where they're learning to separate again. That's really normal and healthy and should happen. And what some what, one thing that they're doing is they're trying on all kinds of outfits as to what they want to be like when this they grow up. Yes, it's, called, yes. <laughs> it's called agency. You know, they're trying them on, they're practicing what kind of an adult they want to be. Mm. And they, it's very appropriate for them to sometimes look at their parents and go, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be just like that. I want to be something different because they may see something about their parent that doesn't quite fit for them or that they're not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And if we as parents are looking at like, I've got to raise a mini me, I've got to raise an exactly me, what are we missing out on? We're missing out on so much joy and diversity, just like nature gives us. So looking at different as good, is to me something that I've definitely learned better to do in my older life to ease up on, you know, making my children be a certain way or a certain thing. Mm-hmm. It's brought me so much joy. I've learned so much by allowing space for my children to experiment to be who they are. And, you know, within healthy, loving boundaries, sure. of course. Sure, Yeah,
0: I love that analogy of nature and how flat and gray the world would be if it was all just unilateral. I'm raising a little three-year-old that I can already tell. I mean, I know it more applicably lands on the teenage phase, but I can already tell this buddy's going to be different, and I'm trying to honor that. And it it does stretch you as a parent, right, and pushes you to this place of flexibility and openness, which selfishly speaks to our growth as well. Different is good. I like that. Mantra number four. Now, this is a big one. This is a goodie for any grandparent out there, I think, as well. Trying to engage um, and support from a distance. My child or my grandchild is not giving me a hard time. My child is having a hard time. I feel like this would take out maybe 70% of the frustration I might feel as a mom to littles or a mom, a mom to younger kids. My child is not giving me a hard time. My child is having a hard time. This is gold, Georgia.
1: Well, this is not me. This is John Gottman, the great Einstein of love, yes. the greatest researcher of relationships we've ever known um, to this point. And he created this mantra for parents, which speaks to so many levels of yes. his research and, and psychological research. But it's the essence for me of what how to create a good boundary with your young children, but any any child, right? Um, and we know that good boundaries are the foundation of any healthy relationship, like being able to separate like that toddler does that they first start separating from their parent and how that parent allows them to separate and differentiate is huge. It's going to have an impact throughout their lives, how we separate someone's behavior from us. So um, when, I, when I can look at a child who's throwing tantrum and instead of being, being a reflection on me... Mm-hmm. In the grocery store mm-hmm. or a church mm-hmm. or wherever I am, instead of it being a reflection on me, to be able to look upon them as separate from me and with empathy. And they're not doing this to get, they're not doing this to, to, to do anything to me. It's right, so easy right. to take that perspective. I, I had you someone know? once
0: say, it's not like my three-year-old woke up saying, How can I make mom's life hard today? What can exactly. I do to really ruin her afternoon? I mean, that's not that's not happening.
1: No, no, they're trying, you know, every human being, Ross Green, another great researcher says, everyone's doing the best they can. Your kids are doing the best they can. If we can take that approach, that they are growing and struggling and they're, you know, in this little body that's trying to figure out the world and trying to figure out their relationships and trying to figure out how to stay safe and fed and warm and have friends and all those things that we are figuring out our whole lives. Um... We we if we can separate that and recognize that when there's misbehavior in some way, it's because they're struggling. They're having a hard time. And they're not out to get us. Right. So it changes, it changes everything. Right. I'm gonna jump ahead to this other mantra on your list.
0: It speaks to the meltdown, kind of speaks to the acting out. You encourage parents to embrace this idea that we don't want to lose our temper, we want to use our temper. I'm totally intrigued by this. Teach me.
1: Yes. Okay. So I am a somatic coach and I work a lot with the body and physiological reactions that your body gives you and uh-huh. teaches you. Uh-huh. Often your body will react before your brain. So I know there's a lot of thought, thought coaches and thought work and that's great. I like to start with the body because when my child, for instance, throws a tantrum, mm-hmm. what's the first thing that happens in your body? I'm, I'm throwing my own
0: tantrum, actually, <laughs> at a yeah, different level. But exactly. I'm feeling a rise. I'm feeling an energy swell. I'm feeling it.
1: Yeah, and your breath gets shallower. Your muscles generally tense. Right. Your vision becomes very narrow. You're, you don't have perspective. I mean, literally, these are physiological things that happen in your body when mm-hmm. you're in stress. So when you use that temper, when you realize that that's a physiological reaction that happens under stress... And there are lots of physiological reactions, the, you know, the fight, flight, freeze, disassociate, appease—all these things that can happen. But when we lose that, okay, losing your temper is giving into that feeling and mm-hmm. just reacting with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the short, the shortness of breath, the tense muscles makes us react because we also want to survive. Right. So we react to get back to safety and homeostasis. And it does feel like survival sometimes. It sure does. Yeah. <laughs> However, if we are able to be self-aware enough of what's happening physiologically in our body that we're getting, there's this heightened arousal of response happening mm-hmm. that's that's there for a reason if you're being chased by a lion, but not if your two-year-old's <laughs> having a tantrum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if we can become aware of that physiological ar- arousal and use it as information, uh-huh. we can use our temper... To make a choice uh-huh. so we can become self aware, we can say, Whoa, this is really upsetting me right now. Uh-huh. And we can, for instance, ask the question, Is this my problem or is this my child's problem? That's where we separate my child's not giving me a hard time, my child is right, having a hard time. Right? Um, if my child is having a hard time, what do they need? Well, they probably need love, belonging, support, a good meal, a nap, whatever you uh-huh. know, they and and. And it puts me back in my brain so that I can actually think creative thoughts. I can make a decision. I can use my agency instead of my reactiveness to my right. body. Right. And, and I can use my temper to make a choice instead of losing my temper to my reaction brilliant. It's channeling the energy toward a solution.
0: It's channeling the energy towards something good. I I hope this doesn't come out the wrong way because I am in no way the perfect parent. Patience isn't my struggle point, usually. I'm a pretty even keel gal most of the time. There are other areas that we could go down the rabbit hole, and I would need all the coaching in the world and all your advice, and I would take it. But as far as patience goes, I'm usually a pretty steady Eddie. Well, about two weeks ago, I had what I'll call a (laughs) mom-pop. That's the polite way of saying it. it wasn't my usual patient caliber. And my five-year-old looked at me, and it wasn't anything too, too, too loud or out there, but I, I, I expressed myself in this mom-pop moment. And my five-year-old looked at me and went, oh, I feel tired. <laughs> and I said, I do, too. <laughs> I do, too. Like, this was new territory for both of us, right? We don't, I mean, it wasn't brand new territory. It's not that it had never happened before, but it's just not our usual, normal mode of communication. And I thought about that. Like, she immediately felt tired and I felt drained. What I'm hearing you say, though, is that energy can drain us or that energy can take us mm-hmm. forward and advance us. Is that what, is that what you mean by kind of channeling the energy toward
1: a solution? Yes. and and But before you can channel that energy, you have to be aware of it. Mm. Awareness always creates choice. So being aware of what's happening, what's happening to my breath, what's happening to my vision, yes. what's happening to Madi, then we can go, oh, I'm in reaction mode. Mm-hmm. Then we can make that choice and channel it. I love it. I love it. We've got a couple more. This is such a good list, Georgia. I am loving
0: this so much. Work hard, serve hard, play hard. You say th- there's a couple of caveats to this. There's an order of operation, work, serve, play, and you need to dish up Equal enthusiasm for all three components. Take us through this mantra: work hard, serve hard, play hard.
1: Okay, this is actually the mantra of my brother's family. One of my brothers. Okay. And um, he has had this with his children since he was they were tiny children. And the cool thing about it is they you can literally watch their family and see this mantra in action they learn they have all learned how you know they built a chicken coop together they all learned how to take care of the chickens they learned how to sell the chickens they serve together by taking the eggs to people who don't have eggs and you know he's really taught them that we get the we contribute before we consume and it's easy for him to say that to his children in this phrase: "Work hard, let's work hard, serve hard, and then we're going to play hard." So the kids have it in their mind. It's simple for them to remember. They do it together. They have this practical reward of a benefit after they contribute something, after they do something. They see the benefit. They reap the benefit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and doing this as a family for them has created such a strong bond. I've watched them grow their family through the years. And that mantra just really came to mind when you asked for a couple of mantras because they are a living example of breaking that down in their family and using it every day, like in their everyday life. They get the chores done first, they find some way to help somebody, and then they play. And they play hard. (laughs) You know, they've just personified that mantra in their lives, and it's beautiful to watch. What a great pattern. What a great family pattern.
0: You can practice on a Saturday morning and beyond. Work, serve, play. Let's land on this last mantra, and I feel like it's a good one to maybe end on. And it, it holds some intrigue, right, just in the way that it's written. You only have to practice on the days you eat <laughs> which we think of we think of parenting as sure work and and fun and reward and all of that but you're framing parenting as practice and guess what we only have to practice on the days that we eat so no 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 strong schedule otherwise right
1: <laughs> right no big deal but what that what that mantra does for me is it reframes practice yes. so i actually had i actually had that mantra on our fridge when my children were grown and we actually did study music together and um so that was a literal study your music every day on uh, you know, on the days that you ate so yes. but it's come to mean a lot more to me as i've grown and developed and what practice is is how you live your life how mm. you you know we're always practicing something right we are never not practicing we are ingraining habits into our lives every moment by how we choose to behave and how we choose to think and how we choose to act. So um, you only have to practice on the days you eat is a reminder to me that I'm always practicing, Mm -hmm. that practicing is nourishment just like eating Mm -hmm. and that I can find joy in the journey of practicing. I can just like I love to eat and I've made it a a very fun hobby, (laughs) right? (laughs) The the joy of practice, this can be that we have the choice to practice what we want to practice. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that I'm gonna eat every day, it reminds me that I'm also gonna practice. I am always practicing. What? I only have to practice on the days I eat.
0: Only on the days that you eat. <laughs> what what a beautiful reframe though. I think in this in this categorization. Success becomes practice, failures become practice, trials become practice. If life is practice, it kicks out the perfectionism that I think sometimes can plague and weigh down parents, mothers in particular, and it also reframes this life experience in such a rich, beautiful
1: way. Yeah, I do. I mean, I you know, I have times where I have to practice asking forgiveness in a more... In a better way. Yeah. Practice having fun in a more wholehearted way, you know, whatever it is. But when I remember that life is practice, and it's just like eating, it's something we're always looking forward to and doing it it just reframes it. I love what you said about that. After today,
0: I think anyone listening to this conversation is going to feel exactly as I did and do about you and the beautiful light and messaging you're putting out in the world. It's so comfortable. It's so familiar. It just feels good and right. So we're so grateful to you, Georgia, for chiming in today, giving us your expertise, sharing those on-the-ground examples, these mantras, these one-liners, if you will, that we can use to pep talk ourselves up as parents on the day-to-day. Where can we get more advice and wisdom from you?
1: Oh, well, um, you can join me in the journey. I just consider myself a growth partner. I don't consider myself an expert. Um, I, I am on Instagram at Georgia Anderson Coaching and at georgiaandersoncoaching.com. Really grateful
0: for your time and your insight. And what a great growth partner you are. That's a beautiful title too. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you, Brooke. Parenting mantras to live by. Let's review if we can. Quality time makes us better together. Listening is an act of love. Different, differences are good. My child or my grandchild is not giving me a hard time. My child is having a hard time. Work hard, serve hard, play hard, in that order. And with the same enthusiasm for each, don't lose your temper, use your temper. I really liked that one. And you only have to practice on the days you eat. So hopefully these mantras help you make the practice count. Thank you so much for listening to Family Rules, the podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Walker. If you liked this conversation, if the message resonated with you, we would invite you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a review, a note of feedback. We take those comments to heart and are always striving to improve what we do and talk about here in hopes that it will help you improve your own family. Thanks again for listening.
1: We hope you will join us next time. Family Rules, the podcast, is a production of BYU Broadcasting.